In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel, which you've already heard. You may be seated. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is a beautiful reminder of how our salvation is accomplished. There are these two men, one a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. Both are religious, but both have very different ideas about their standing before God. The Pharisee praises his own life before God. He's not an extortionist. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. Now, clearly, he's not wrong that these things are sinful. Extortion breaks the seventh commandment. Unjust is a little bit vague, but I'm guessing it probably has something to do with the eighth commandment about bearing false testimony against your neighbor. And adultery would clearly fall under the Sixth Commandment. We should also recognize about the Pharisee that fasting and tithing are good. So good, in fact, that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, assumes that we Christians will do these things. Not as a way to curry favor with God and gain brownie points to get us into heaven, but as a way to discipline the body and also then to serve the neighbor. We actually hear that gospel lesson every Ash Wednesday, but Jesus says these words, when you fast and when you tithe, not if you do these things. In other words, these things are expected of the people of God. So, with that being said, what is wrong with the Pharisee's prayer? Sure, it's a little bit smug, but he doesn't really claim to be doing anything against the commandments in the things that he mentions. In fact, it's kind of the same thing with Cain in our Old Testament reading. He makes a sacrifice of his produce to God, which making an offering of, of Fruit, the fruit of the earth is a big part of the sacrificial system that God instituted among his people later on in Leviticus. So, to our grain farmers who don't keep any cattle, don't worry, grain is not an inferior offering to beef. So, then, the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector, and for that matter, of Cain and Abel, is much more important, much more foundational. One prayer and one offering is made in faith to the Lord Jesus, while the other was not. We can actually see this in the language of the tax collector. He beats his chest, stays far away, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, he doesn't quite say it that way in the Greek. Uh, it would be better translated as, God, make atonement for me, the sinner. But you still get the idea. So instead of asking for mercy, the tax collector here is asking for atonement. That is, forgiveness from God and peace with him despite his sins. That's 
really important because that's what these two men are actually doing at the temple. The scriptures tell us that the priests made sin offerings for the people of Israel every morning and every evening. That's exactly what's happening as these two men have gone up to the temple to pray. They would have seen the smoke from the offering being lifted to heaven, which was God's sacramental way of showing the people that atonement had been accomplished by the death of the sacrifice. That sacrifice to prepare them for the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. But I want you to note something else about the tax collector, that he recognizes that he cannot make himself right with his God. He knows that he is so profoundly fallen away from God that he cannot possibly pay the price for what his sins demand. This is similar to what St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. The tax collector and St. Paul both saw that their sins meant certain death. But they also both believed that God, out of his great love for sinners, had made atonement for them. Dear friends in Christ, we are all together in this same boat. This is the condition that we have inherited from our first parents, from Adam and from Eve, and just like our new baby sister, Remy. It's our fallen nature to rebel and to shake our fists at God's rule over us. We have an inborn, churning hatred of God's law. What we see in spades in the world around us today with its rejection of everything that God has commanded in his law also resides within us. Our anger towards our neighbor betrays our murderous hearts. The way that the beauty of those who are not our spouses causes our heart rates to rise a bit betrays our adulterous hearts. And the way that ads that are so ubiquitous on our TVs, our phones, and our billboards all over the world around us, how these things all work on us, they wouldn't even use these forms of advertising if they didn't work, that betrays in us a heart of covetousness. Dear friends, our God does not grade on a curve. Just because my sins are not as obvious as the rank atheist that I pass on the street doesn't mean that I have enough of my own righteousness for heaven. And so here, with the tax collector, Jesus calls us to repent. I am the sinner, and you are also the sinner. People loved by God. God has made atonement for you. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that means that Christ Jesus came into the world to save you. This is why St. Paul tells us that this is of the first importance. That is the most important thing. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What we say in the creed is what we, we don't just say it because it's true, but we also say it about that because it is how Christ has saved us. How Christ has saved you. How he has saved St. Paul. How he saved me and even the tax collector. It is the story of how Christ Jesus came to save me, the sinner. And this is the great blessing that we have in witnessing a baptism this morning. We didn't plan it this way, but it was a wonderful coincidence anyway. We saw one this morning that was as helpless before God as anyone could possibly be. Even more helpless than the tax collector in the parable. Remy could not even bring herself to the font for baptism this morning. She had to be carried by her aunts. She couldn't come to the same way, uh, come to church the same way that many of you came this morning. She couldn't get in her car and drive. And yet, she was received in the same way that many of you were when your parents carried you to this font here in front of us. And right there, in that font, Remy's Lord Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for her. Jesus' death on the cross was for all people. But there in the waters of baptism, Jesus has made it personal. At the font, all who are baptized are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus brings his all-atoning death forward in time to each of us in order that we all would go down to our houses justified. That is, declared not guilty and given the gift of eternal life all for the sake of Christ Jesus our Savior. And now, because of what Christ has done, every time we hear that our sins are forgiven, we are received by God. And our sins, they really are forgiven. Not because of our tithing or because of our fasting or refraining from this or that sin, but because of the grace of God that he has extended to us in the font that places into your hands, into the hands of faith, which has reached up humbly in a plea for God's mercy, you may now go down to your house justified. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.